Welcome to Rain City Supercars. I'm Nick. I'm Dan. And we are coming at you live from Drivers Club. Yeah, brought to you by Avance, Haggerty, Rainier Beer, and Carter Subaru. How was your weekend, Dan? Relaxing. Relaxing? It was the first weekend I kind of didn't do a whole lot. I mean, I worked a little bit, but uh, I didn't have any plans. I've been gone like every weekend. <laughs> so it's like. It's so you, you just, just huddled inside your own home and had a good time? Yeah, I took my board out a little bit. Oh, I nice. Got my Evolve GTR. I freaking love that thing so much. You have a nicer skateboard than most people have cars. I love it. It's I, worth yeah. every penny. I'm uh, already looking at like different wheel options and stuff like that. But you got with different wheel options. I do. With it. Oh, I'm okay. looking at different ones because I want to ride it more when okay. it's colder out. And so things go oh, a little something slick. with something with better traction. Yeah, for the slick. I never thought I'd hear that. My, my skateboard doesn't have enough traction in the snow. <laughs> it was funny. So. I think that thing gets more attention than my car. Really? <laughs> yeah. Everybody, I said, man, kids freak There's out. A lot of thing. carbon on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's all so yeah. It's all dry carbon the whole thing, and it does. I actually got in the cold with the all-terrain tires on it. I got about 14 miles out of it this weekend. Have you had it clear rod yet? Not yet. Oh. I got to take it over there. It's uh, actually I'm waiting for it to like, get really nasty and start snowing. But it's supposed to be nice this week. So every time I want to bring it in, and drop it off. That dry carbon's going to look pretty bad if you don't get it clear rod. I, I know. Well, these are things I never thought I would yeah, say. Yeah, we like, need to clear rod the skateboard. Have you clear rod your skateboard yet with the dry <laughs> carbon? Like, oh my god, the world we're living in. It's super, super fun. I never thought I would have so much fun in that thing. But it literally is. I, I love to wake surf, and my friends know this. And so it's it's as close as I can get on the street to wake surf. I just want to tell you this. Um, you're 40, so I know. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, I'm okay, already looking yeah. at different helmet options. Yeah. Please. You saw me tonight. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I don't like <laughs> I got a basic one now. I, you know, it's a good way to die without it. I think um, you need to get one of those Predator ones. <laughs> full face. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm full face Predator. Yeah. 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 I, you know, it's, it's the same thing, though. I'm not looking to, like, downhill or go fast. I just love the easy cruise. No, but again, you're 40, so I'm thinking a helmet with like a Hans device <laughs> and something, you know. Spine protector. Pe- people are d- people depend on you now, so it's it's time to protect yourself, Dan. A great insurance yeah, and yeah. an HSA. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Still, okay, I guess that's fine. I mean, we can always bring Jason back if you kill yourself. So That's true. Yeah. I'm yeah. Uh, you if you go back to rehab. I discovered a dilemma, though. I have a, a cover so I can protect the grip tape if I'm putting it in a car because it'll scratch up everything. It does not fit in my 911. Like, I can put it in the front seat only. It will not fit in the back. And oh, so... I'm sorry. Are you trying to make a national statement that your carbon fiber skateboard will not fit in your Porsche? <laughs> yes. You might want to stop. <laughs> it's a great problem to have. Oh, I admit it. Good Lord. Okay. But I'm like, I'm like I need a rack on the car now. So. <laughs> now, you want a skate? I know exactly what you want because I've seen that car with the, with the longboards attached. That's so cool. Yeah, I agree. There's a... It's a classic 911, and he's got longboards mounted on the back over the window, kind of like on a slant. And it looks really cool. Um... But, yeah, so I have our Carter Subaru Tip of the Week, which has nothing to do with skateboards. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to us. All right, so I am constantly giving uh, a certain person I know who listens to this crap about uh, leaving the fuel tank at less than a quarter tank and, like, all the way to E. I'm like, oh, it still says it's got five miles left. It's fine. No, it's not. <laughs> For the record, it, that is not fine. I did every bit of research I could. Literally, I looked at like 10 different articles because I wanted to make sure that I was I'm like, am I getting paranoid hype over this or am I getting actually scientific back data that says don't do this? Okay. So so the main topic you're saying is running a car to past to empty. Past empty okay. to where you got like five or 10 miles left. And I can give real world examples of how this has failed. I can get 30 out of mine once it hits E, but okay. Right? Yes. <laughs> Trust me. Like yeah. in a pinch once or twice, that's fine. Like you're going to end up in a situation which we have where we're like, we have no fuel left. There's not a gas station nearby. We have to push it until we get there. That should be the exception to the rule, not your daily driving routine with fuel. Uh, in fact, everybody I went through, every mechanical engineer who wrote an article on this said the same thing. A quarter of a tank, fill it up. 
Um, that's the extreme end of it, but they all agreed. About a quarter tank is about as low as you really want to go on a regular basis in any car, no matter what. And the reason being is because, one, the fuel in your tank uh, is the lubrication for the pump. It used to be because old tanks, like pre-90, some other cars, different examples, uh, had metal tanks, and that sediment would sit at the bottom of the tank. You didn't want that to all get soaked up in the, uh, the fuel pump and clog it up. But now the problem is, is because your fuel pump is relying on that uh, fuel to lubricate the pump, if you're on a steep incline and you are trying to go uphill or downhill or whatever, you're going to dry the pump. And it's, 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 you're literally going to have that, that pump overheat and burn out. This happened to I know who you're talking about now because it happened in your garage. In my driveway. Yep. I have a steep I driveway that comes that. down, yeah, and I, I ramped Stephen Bridge the bottom <laughs> of it. But, uh, yeah, but <laughs> this is not that person I'm referring to. But oh, That's okay. a real-world example of exactly uh -huh. when this happened, that though. And if you are low on gas and you end up going just driving up a steep hill, you're going to burn that tank. You're going to burn that pump out. And a good fuel pump should last you at least 100,000 miles if you take care of it. At least. It's actually a very rare thing to go these days. Okay. But if you keep running your car as low as possible and turn until it burns out the pump, well, you better hope you got a lease because you don't want that. You're going to end up replacing it. And it's a very expensive thing to do now. But because pumps aren't really designed to fail, they tend to be very expensive to replace. They're not necessarily hard to get to, usually under the rear seat or somewhere in the trunk. Usually the rear seat, you pump it up, you can see the, open, the opening of the tank and do it. But it's not that easy. And it's, uh, yeah, so that's the rule. Quarter tank, fill it up. If it's less than that on a rare occasion, fine, but that should be where you're looking at as that's where I need to fill my gas tank. And that is, I sourced literally at least 10 different articles by mechanical engineers trying to find the exact number. They're like, yeah, quarter tank is, tends to be the universal agreement. Hmm. So now you know. Fill up your tank at a quarter of a tank. Everybody, looking at you. Yeah, I see Ashley <laughs> cringing here on the couch. She's like, "I do this all the time." Amanda, everybody's like, "We we've oh, all done I it. do it all the time." I, I, I yeah. I'll 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 drive over here. I'm thinking, "Oh, there's a Costco near where on Monday. I'll be fine." <laughs> Trust oh. me, I've seen the light come on many times in my cars. But I'm usually like, "Oh, if I drive by a gas station, like I drive by Costco to and from work, so it's just a habit for me. Like, I have a tank, I'll go fill it up. I'm right here. Why not?" Not that you should do it, but my my Subaru from Carter Subaru. I think I got 32 miles out of it after the uh, <clears throat> light came on. <laughs> Good thing it's a lease. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm fine. I, I'm sure I could have gone a couple more, couple more miles. I don't know. So, yeah. Trust me, I have been to the bottom of the tank where it's zero for like five miles. I've yeah. been in that situation. I've been in that situation with you on yeah. our road trips. But uh, that's that also why I have gas tanks on the top of my car. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> so, that should yeah. be the exception to the rule. Sure. Um, I would say the other exception to this rule, which is a good point to segue us into our guests. You want to run your tank as low as possible when you're at the racetrack and you're doing drag strips because fuel is weight. <laughs> so you want to run it uh, about to a quarter of a tank. That should be the line you run at on and the drag strip. Anything in those articles as far as if a car is going to sit over winter where, where the tank should be at? I know you want a fuel stabilizer in there, but is there a full tank fuel stabilizer? Full tank. There yeah, we go. that's okay. another tip, but I will get into the, the logic behind that as well. But fuel stabilizer is the main thing there. Sure. Not just thing. And, you know, honestly, it's best to just run it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, speaking of racing, Curtis, welcome to the show. Thank you. Our guest today is Curtis Crager. He is an instructor at Performance, a photographer, all-around car guy. He travels and goes to cool Male places. Male model. Uh, yes. Yeah. I hold mail. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he, Look he at this letter. He, he models for the U.S. Postal Service. It's right. a male model. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. What a letter should look like before postage is applied. Yeah. Everybody knows that. Great so. stretch, Nick. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome to the show, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. We actually met uh, a couple weeks ago or a week ago uh, when you were here uh, as one of the, the lead. What would you describe yourself? Uh, I don't want to say test driver, but. Uh, Definitely not a test driver. Side seat 
people for the new McLaren GT? I'd say the 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 title we're given is a a, a brand advocate. Brand ad. That's a much better way to put that. Yeah, it much sounds better. a little more professional. Yeah, makes it sound like you know what you're doing. The yeah the <laughs> the the job is is cram your brain with as much information about a car as you possibly can in a shorter period of time, and then. Make it sound like you've done that stuff for months. I, I give you massive props because I could never do that. I, I've talked about it before. I uh, through the Microsoft program, uh, BMW asked me to help out, <laughs> with the and, I and I sat in the right right seat in an I8 all day with people that had paid to do it, which because the money went to a good cause. I wanted to kill people. <laughs> like I don't. I mean, you, I mean, I literally made some guy pull over on the side of the freeway and get out. I was like, we're we're just we're, I'm not doing this. Like scared the hell out of me. So. Props to you. Thank as someone you. who drives and parks on that campus, yes, that is yeah, a daily uh, occurrence. As like someone who drives through it, God. let alone somebody who had to drive with people there. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I would say it used to be scary driving through there, anyways. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, well, well it was just. Yeah. <laughs> driving. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I was driving to work today. I worked from home this morning, and I came in at like ten. Came in a little later than I usually do. Usually get there earlier. I get there around ten. No in between. And I watched somebody pull a full-size SUV into a compact spot on the first floor. And I, my rule is, like, if I'm there anytime after, like, 9, it's, like, straight to the third floor. Because there's plenty of room down there. But, like, compact spot. And I'm like, there's no way he can get out of this vehicle without, like, absolutely destroying the car <laughs> next to him. And the guy next to him is no way getting in his vehicle at this point. Jeez. I'm like, this didn't even... <laughs> and this is an everyday occurrence. Courtesy. But I'm like, what is wrong with people? Courtesy, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, two empty floors. But yeah, anyway, great. I digress. Sorry. That's <laughs> Redmond <right>. drivers. <laughs> Dan's been on his soapbox today. Uh, m- many, day. many things. Don't we, we could bring up RVs. Stupid red onions. <laughs> okay. I got to throw the inside okay. jokes there. Oh That's God. for my Seamont friends. Uh-huh. We're planning for next mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so how did you get into driving at Proformance? Oh, boy. Um, well, driving in general. Go farther back. Go way back. How did uh, you become a racer? 15 and a half year old young man. Uh, <laughs> Well, I would say an interest of driving had always been a part of my life. Uh, my father was the managing editor for Carcraft and Motor Trend magazines from 1970 through the mid 80s. Never so heard of it. That's a fun fact. Yeah, it's just a <laughs> Peterson Publishing, small publishing yeah, company. Small, yeah. um, uh, in the day, I used to go hang out in the art director's office when it was like bring your kid to work day in the summertime. That's cool. So, uh, I, my father would always his office was always just off to the off to the side of where the art directors were sitting. So uh, my only job was to not to bug all those guys who were trying to paste up the next issue of the magazine that they were feverishly trying to put together. And uh, uh, I could use all the pens and pencils and stencils and everything else that was on that empty desk, but just keep my mouth shut. So uh, they'd give me the old plates from the previous magazine or other older issues, and they w- I could mess around and do stuff and pretend and as a little kid. And um, so then, of course, you had this interest in cars and photography and how things kind of go together. So kind of developed a little bit of a background in graphic design and, and just seeing things differently than other people, uh, which led me, oddly enough, there's a little bit of a segue into the photography from this, is ultimately through high school and, and getting out of high school, I, I, I found an interest in photography, which led me to bringing me to the racetrack. Uh, we moved up here in 1988 from Southern California. Um, so I've been here for quite a few years and Pacific Raceways has only ever been about 35 minutes away from where I've ever lived in the state. So, uh, I found myself going there literally within probably about the first two weeks of moving here just to realize that there was a racetrack nearby. Um, and then shortly after that, uh, I got into the photography side of things, made a bunch of friends, motorcycle racers, car racers, and so on and so forth. And then 
but the interest of driving, going back to your first question, uh, has always been there. Um, I've always loved road trips. I've always loved getting behind the wheel of a car if I could. Little kid, I learned how to drive a tractor in Montana. And my grandfather let me drive the old trash truck around, uh, you know, picking up trash for the community that they, they managed. Um, but it wasn't until later in life that I actually got into driving at the racetrack, like officially. Uh, kind of played around with some autocross stuff, not very seriously. Some go-karts, not seriously at all. Although tried to put a package together, but it was in the time in the mid-90s, it was about a $10,000 package. There was just no way I was going to make that work. Yeah. Um, and go-karts? And go-karts, yeah. Rotax package? It was, a, it was a shifter cart. It was a 125cc oh. shifter cart. So yeah. if you're going to start somewhere, might as well start at the top. Yeah. Uh, just kidding. But uh, Go bigger, go home. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So so I pulled the plug on that. It, it just it was going to be too expensive. I yeah, just didn't have carting the, is money. <laughs> I didn't have the funds. I had the time. I just didn't have the funds to actually make that make that uh, dream happen. So periodically I'd get behind the wheel of one and we'd go have some fun down at Bremerton or someplace else and, and tear it up a little bit. Uh, it wasn't until the late 90s, 98, 99 time frame that uh, track driving became a reality for me. Um, the chief driving instructor at the time, John Robison, or JR is what he goes by, um, he owned uh, Alpine Hut right here in Redmond. And uh, I needed to get a mountain bike for an adventure race that I was going to go do. So I was shopping around. Those guys were really cool. Turns out he's got a black 78, you know, turbo look 911 sitting in the back of the shop. And I'm like, oh, this is where I need to do my business because <laughs> this guy's a believer in cars. So subsequently, that conversation led to hours of conversation and days and days and days of just like hanging out and just talking race cars and racetracks. And he's like, you got to come out. And so my very first time down at the racetrack was at a Porsche Club event uh, as a student in, in 1999. And from there, it literally just took off. It just absolutely, I'm like, all right, I'm dedicating my funds to this activity. This and is what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, if, you, if, if I go way back in time when Bob Bondurant first opened up his racing school, my father was one of the first journalists to go through his program. So... Through before I was born in 1970, my dad had all these experiences of interviewing A.J. Foyt at his first uh, Indy 500 win, uh, meeting Bob Bondurant, meeting Carol Shelby, and knowing these guys. Not just like knowing them from a journalist standpoint, uh, but at races, they would talk to each other. And so um, we went to every race in Southern California you could ever imagine. So that kind of was the big foundation of ultimately getting to the track. I just didn't, I just didn't have the funds or the time to be able to go do it until 99. And then uh, first track day, I passed this guy in a twin turbo 911S, and I am like ear to ear grinning. I can't believe. What are you driving? An Acura Integra. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wrong with that. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Somebody a, has to. A, a car, a car that has <laughs> that 140 a horsepower on a good day. Yeah. yeah. Um, non VTEC, so I didn't let you know VTEC didn't take over from me. Uh, but I passed this guy <laughs> down the front straightaway at 120 miles an hour or something like that. And I'm sitting in my, in my head. I'm going, oh, I just passed a 911. Like, that's not possible. Get off the track, come in. I talk to the guy, really nice fella. I'm like, how was that? And he says to me, I'm never going to come back and do it again. And, I, and I, my smile went to like from ear to ear to just like, oh, well, that's too bad. Like, you, just, you own like one of the most magnificent cars on earth, and you're never going to come back and drive it. And I thought, that's too bad. Yeah. So um, ultimately, the car went through some modifications, you know, the brakes and, and, and modifying things to make it a little bit better to drive, tires and all those kinds of things. And uh, it just took off. It was the next year I went to JR and I said, I need to be an instructor. Nice. I, I went through from novice 
too advanced in the first year of, of driving at the track. But I did every DE day. I did every skills day. And eventually I joined the BMW club instructors group as well. So I spent, I spread myself out as much as I could to learn uh, the driving aspect and, and picking up on all the tools that everybody used to coach you around the racetrack. So for me, it was, it was this big intake of information and knowledge. Um, but with like this interest of like writing things down and going back and referencing conditions and personal attitude and how you looked at the day going to the racetrack and, and then communicating with people as well, which is a big, big, big deal. So eventually JR threw me in the pool of being an instructor and I became an instructor and then I did that stuff for mm, seven and a half years with the Porsche club and BMW club. Cool. Let's, um, let's take our first break. When we come back, I want to talk more about uh, instruction and good driving tips you can give people and, Ooh more about track setup and car setup and everything else because there's a lot that goes into this. So we'll be right back, everybody. We spend an average of eight hours and 41 minutes a day facing screens, laptops, smartphones, tablets, even digital refrigerators. But what are we really connected to? Isn't it time you connected to something greater? Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect. This moment of escape was created by Haggerty for people who love cars. And we're back talking to male model Derek. Z oh, sorry, wrong interview. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're talking about good stamp uh, placement and, and postage placement. and tab placement. Ugh. Something about driving. I don't want to get on that soapbox. Okay. <laughs> Before we took the break, Dan was uh, we were he kind of asked you that we were talking while everyone was using the bathroom about some of the mistakes you see. In, in your line of business. And I'm sure you probably just stand there because everybody's perfect. We all know how to drive just because, you know, what Washington State roads teach us how to be good drivers. And, you know, you can never I just go come to the track. For you, never, the back. you never go to the <laughs> fast lane and the fast lane left because there's always a good person in a Prius there making sure you're going the right where they so should be. Right where they should oh be. Oh, my gosh. So, right. Yeah. yeah. If, uh, if we could take the things that we learn on the racetrack and really transmit that to everybody on the road. Yeah, rubbing is racing. I be, agree. It would, be amazing. <laughs> it would be amazing what we could achieve in Bump terms of. Bump draft. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, okay, maybe the two-second following distance, we can cut that down to half a second. No, mm -hmm. um, no, we already do that. Get up into them, get them loose, put them into the wall. There you go. There you go, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. You know, the, the, I, I wouldn't necessarily call these things necessarily mistakes because we try to prevent people from making mistakes on the racetrack. Um, ultimately, the, the idea of a coach is to get somebody in their car sitting properly so they have the greatest amount of control of the vehicle the entire time. So seating position, steering wheel, where are they looking out and what can they see out of the vehicle, getting their mirrors turned out the right way. Uh, that way they don't make these uh, mistakes on the public road, ultimately. So after a full day of having somebody on the racetrack, um, we really take people from, uh, from, you know, step one through, you know, step three-ish, right? There's no... Some folks rapidly get there, and others take a little bit of time to get through this process. Um, but so much of it is just building confidence. Um, a, l a lot of drivers, we, 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 pass the, we pass the local state test. We learn how to back around a corner, which just kills me. Um, and then uh, somebody gets checked off or not checked off, and they pass the written test and then take their picture, and now they can drive. Those are people with rear backup cameras, Dan. You don't understand that. That must Continue. be nice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that was the, 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 the backing around the corner thing was what got me when I was 18 years old getting my license here in the state. The guy told me to park around this corner, and he goes, okay, back around the corner. So I backed around the corner, and then I see him check off on the box, and I'm, I'm like, why would you check that off? And he goes, you didn't stop. Well, you told me to back around the corner, and I did it perfectly. So this is the thing that kills me is we teach people how to back around the corner. 
you can ask any of your friends how many times in their X number of years of driving have you had to back around a corner. Don't do it now. Don't let your mind wander too much. I think the much. only thing on my test I did bad was uh, parallel parking. I bumped a cone. Yeah. Which I don't remember backing around a corner. I did that. I remember that specifically. I did okay on that. But I'm laughing because if I was thinking about the last time I backed around a corner, I was like, and it was in the Land Cruiser, and I stopped when I hit the tr- the thing behind me because I was in the Land Cruiser. <laughs> what do you mean you didn't stop? It was off you, ba- you backed around the corner and just kept going? I just backed around the corner, and then I stopped yeah, because I backed around the corner. Okay. So I just did exactly what, did what he, he said to do. what did you did wrong? I didn't stop. You go and back, then back, stop, back, and stop, back, and yeah. then get around the corner. Oh, okay. So see through the corner. Why? If, if we take that, if we take that little bit of learning how to drive, and then we translate to the racetrack, what I have to do for people is get them to go through a one-two-three process. Follow. I mean, literally, you got to follow this recipe of one-two-three. You can accelerate in a straight line. You can brake in a straight line, but you can't turn and brake or accelerate with the wheel there's there's these things that you have to do so we have to be very explicit with what instructions we're giving people on the racetrack Um, mostly because as you look out behind us we've got a lot of those types of cars that are coming out the track but we also have everybody from a honda civic to the most expensive sports car that you could imagine so it doesn't matter your who you are or what you drive we can teach anybody and everybody how to control their vehicle in just about any situation that comes up. Well, there's some, in, in my mind, as somebody who has very, very little experience, there's some counterintuitive things in that, the fact that when somebody's saying, jam on the brakes, you're thinking, oh, but I'm pushing them lightly. You're like, no, jam on the brakes, get the nose to, I mean, there's yeah. it's, it's counterintuitive in your right. mind because when you're out on the street, you're like coming up to the corner and you're lightly pressing the brakes. You're not jamming it on and slamming it into right. the corner. As smooth as possible yeah. so everybody's comfortable in the car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah racetrack, so, not so much. Yeah, you know, your limousine ty- style of stop, I, 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 I beg anybody to go try to do this in your own car and see if you can do a limousine stop. And it basically means you're dragging that brake pedal all the way up until you can't feel the car stop. You don't want to feel the car buck on you. On the street, we tend to drive and brake, 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 brake. In the last 40 feet, we nail the brakes. On the track, you just flip that around. And in in the first part of that braking zone, we're getting on the brakes. And then we trail off the brakes and and get the car back to moving. So um, we have to take that street driving mentality and flip in some it. cases, flip it on its head a little bit and, and get people to do things a little bit differently. Learn how to use the controls of the car the way engineers intended these controls to be used. So um, keep the wheel straight when it needs to be straight. We, I, you know, get a lot of people who get real nervous start sawing back and forth on the wheel like they're, it's out of control. And if you just calm your hands down, what happens is the car starts tracking where it needs to track. Uh, it's not going to take off on you and go sideways. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go that way. Yeah. It's just not, not going to do that. You know, on our highways and roads around where we drive, we have those big ruts from all the heavy traffic, and I-90 is <laughs> a classic. The car will go where you won't want to. car may wander on you pretty severely, but if you have the proper wheel alignment, which goes back to a question you've asked about car setup, you can literally take your hands off the wheel with a proper alignment and drive down the st- right, drive right down the highway, and the car is just going to track. Yep. It's just going to do what it's supposed to do. Um, and you can take the most mundane grocery getter and turn it into an actual track driving setup car, uh, assuming that it has all the abilities to be set up that way suspension-wise. Yeah, I was going to um, say brakes and suspension and tires, and you can pretty much go start to at least learn basic car control. But, uh, but uh, you know, even going back to my little 95 Acura Integra, I've got all the adjustability in that suspension to be able to do whatever I want to do to set it up for a racetrack. Um, I don't have the mechanical knowledge to do that. There's other people who are way <laughs> smarter than me that will take my body weight, put it in the driver's seat, and then set the car up appropriate for what you want. Um, and those sh- and those shops are all around the east side. Um, uh, so getting a car set up appropriately is the right thing to do, even if it's just a mundane vehicle just driving around town. 
they're all inherently set up for understeer. They're all inherently set up for a little bit slower turn in. So these things aren't as fast. Drive any supercar out there, any sports car, these things are kind of on a knife edge. Yeah, I was going to say, they just the, the really soft rubber bushings to make that drive comfortable versus precise. And then exactly. that's why you're going to see, uh, like, it's the, the mods you get for even high-end cars, like my Turbo S, for example. Everybody's like, solid bushings. Go to the GT2 RS kit, because that's, that's a huge difference in that car. That's one of the differences from the GT Porsche line, actually, is the bushings are quite a bit harder, even though they're still rubber. Right. It's a much stiffer compound, so they handle quite a bit differently. Yeah. So And it's funny, because... You think of a car like a like my Turbo, for example, which seems like a high-performance car. Well, if you drive it next to a GT3 RS, it actually feels kind of sloppy. And the Turbo would be more of a Grand Touring-style yeah. car and anyway, so those things are adapted for that type of driving. Exactly. Versus that GT3 RS knife edge, yeah. like instantaneous response in everything that you do. Yeah. I still want one of those. Yeah. <laughs> we all do. I, I want both, but... <laughs> I think I got a model. I do as well. <laughs> yeah, it's much cheaper that way. One eighteenth scale size. Mm. I'm, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> What's uh? You probably can't, n no names, of course. But uh, have you had any really, uh, really scary butt pucker moments with people on the track? You know, in all of the years that I've been at the track instructing, um, I've only had a couple of times where I've actually had to grab a wheel. That's good. And it and you know anything over nine anything north of ninety five miles an hour becomes entertaining. <laughs> The, the job, the, I mean, the real job of a professional instructor sitting right seat with somebody is I'm holding a radio in my hands and I'm sitting here as relaxed as I am with you guys right now. And I don't care what you do behind you the really wheel of the car. seem really tense, by the way. I, I <laughs> am. It's, it, it's, For it's, a male model. It's everything from 30 minutes earlier. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the whole notion is, is that I have to sit here as calm and as cool as I possibly can because the driver, depending on who they are, is already at a level that's almost too intense. Yeah. So if I'm intense and they're intense, that's when things kind of get out get get out of hand. The calmer I speak to somebody, the 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 further I drive ahead of what they're doing, the more likely they are to be able to make those inputs and do the things that are necessary in order to get the car around the course without any stress. So the 95 miles an hour north grab of the steering wheel is very entertaining because you feel the car doing something before the driver does. And you just grab the wheel and you hold it. And then you tell that person to stay on the gas, stay on the gas or on the brakes or get off the brakes, whatever the situation might be. I've only had to do that twice in all the years. So 11 years at performance racing school and the seven years prior, uh, almost eight years prior with the clubs. So it's um, it's a is that people not listening or is that people just uh, uh, scared? I mean, what, what, I mean, what, hap what, in, what, what tends to happen in just in general is, is you, as you go through the day on getting somebody to drive around the racetrack, um, I've, had, I've had people in Priuses, and I've had people in 750-horsepower cars. It doesn't matter what they're driving. A Prius at 95 miles an hour is fast. That's a lot of speed in a car that isn't necessarily intended to be driven that quickly, yeah. although it can be. Um, I gotta give credit to whoever brought a Prius to the racetrack. That's we've had we've had quite a, we've had quite a few over the years at at the school, and it's and it actually it's really cool because they've got plenty of torque, and through some of the slower corners, they actually accelerate out of the corners fairly well, given okay. given given what, what it is, given yeah. what it is, yeah. right? Um, so as we as we take somebody from literally just learning the racetrack, because we show them through a, uh, a process we call two and twos. And we, we drive two laps slowly and talk about the racetrack. This is where turn one is, and so all the way around. The turn worker stations, the braking zones, where our turn in, apex, and track out markers are. Um, and then 
and then we turn it over to them, and we sit right seat, and we do freeway speed. And we're 50, 55, maybe 60 miles an hour, and we're talking about all these things. And then we, we, we have to be quite a ways ahead of that person in terms of where we tell them to make that input to get turned in or go to the braking zone or where to look for apex, wherever we might be on the racetrack. If you can do that and you're calm about it, then people just respond pretty naturally. They're pretty good with that, in, with that information. If you're full of anxiety and you can't catch your breath and you're a second behind of where you're supposed to be, that's when people start making mistakes. It, I've not known anybody in my line of work through the clubs, through performance, that's ever had that situation where they're not where they need to be. Uh, but it is our job to make sure that the person is physically in the vehicle at a location on the track for proper turn-in to be able to get to apex, to be able to get to the track out marker with the least amount of input on the wheel. Because we're so trained uh, by painted lines on the public streets, and when we see a sign that says 25 miles an hour through a corner, it's, it's done on purpose. It's to save the 99.2% of the people from not making a mistake getting around that corner. Yeah. Right? Any freeway on-ramp, freeway <laughs> on-ramp. I look at it and go 25, which means I can do 50. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you know, if you use... <laughs> From driver's right to driver's left, mm -hmm. or wherever yeah. you're going. I didn't it, say I did it safely. I said it, I could. It, it's quite it's quite possible to go a little bit quicker through some of these corners. Sure. But if you look at the majority of people who are driving on the road, they are literally going point A to point B and point B back to point A. There's no intent of enjoying the drive. It's just what you've got to do. Don't just get there. Enjoy the drive. Write that down, Dan. I should use that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so you take years and years and years and years of that driving experience, and now we have to tear that down a bit and then we have to teach them how to use 40 feet of racetrack right from entry to apex to exit um, you know where to go to the throttle how much steering to give a car where are you looking and the and the looking is like the biggest key like if you were to break this down in percentage i would say i would say more than 60 percent of the success on track has got to be vision there's many other things and you can you can break it down in any percentage you want but the, the light bulb goes off when somebody goes i get it I see where I'm supposed to go. Yeah. And then when they start seeing where they're supposed to go, just like I'm looking across the room, you can get there and there's no there's no fear. Does that go back to the whole like when we're learning to drive like wherever you look is where the car will go kind of thing? Yeah, I mean that's what we want. If you let your eyes lead your hands, you can look through I'm teaching my 14-year-old son right now. We were just 10 miles out in the middle fork and he was driving the GTI and the back roads there and I'm like look through the corner, look through the next corner look ahead and he's and he's doing this at 14 years old mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he's got his hands at nine and three which is the right position and he's looking through the corner he can see how much steering input needs to be and he can get where he needed to go now i'm not teaching him apex just yet i'm just trying to get him to stay in his lane at speed right without coming off the throttle too abruptly or using the brakes too quickly yeah just keep the car balanced cool i used to tell everybody that with motorcycles i start him with the smallest bike i could find him like all right only one gear and look where you want to go don't ever stop looking where you want to go. You can always tell as soon as they look where they don't want to go, it's yeah. <laughs> right into that tree. Right, right, right. 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 <laughs> so it could be the smallest object in the field. One, one stick sticking and out. And like, yep. don't hit the stick. <laughs> right into the stick. <laughs> <laughs> all those I looked at the stick. Videos. Yeah, you looked at the stick and you went to the stick. Yeah. yeah. It's like, right. that's how this works. Yeah. Driving's the same thing. Yeah. So if you had uh, one tip for car setup, Oof. uh you got a favorite? Like, what's that one mod you've done from the starting, from your Integra to anything you are now? What's that one thing that's made the most difference for you? Um, you know, for my car being so lightweight and 
under horsepowered in terms of other cars that are out there. Um, for me, the biggest thing was brakes and tires. That was the biggest thing. Um, you know, some geometry change to the suspension just to kind of get better turn in and better handling through corners is good. Um, but if someone's just looking to have a little extra fun in their car, the, the biggest things are tires and brakes, honestly. Um, for me, an older car, steel braided lines was no big deal. I'm not going to harm anything with a modern day car. Modern day cars now, um, you know, say anything with 300 horsepower and above, have a lot of this better technology in it anyways. So their brakes are already up to par. Uh, take a take a generic 911, um, pretty much arguably the best brakes that you can have on, a, on any street car. Don't get me wrong, there's plenty of other brake systems out there, and most of them are built by Brembo and some other companies are off-brand. But the, the point is, is that that technology is already at a level. That manufacturer is already doing those things to those cars. So from there, it's really alignment would be the next the next best thing. Um, a lot of cars just inherently come off the, off the off the manufacturer's line and are built with understeer. So we don't get over, you know, throttle induced or any sort of induced uh, oversteer situations. So uh, most of all your drivers out there can handle a car that understeers a little bit more uh, rather than any sort of uh, oversteer situation that you might find. So huh. throttle, you know, throttle induced or otherwise um, understeer is a little bit safer for most of the people out there. Throttle induced oversteer is the uh, the 911 way, the old 911 well, way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, that induces a lot of fun. More yeah. throttle. More yeah. throttle. More throttle, more throttle, more throttle. Yeah. I think that's the uh, Kawasaki way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so it just really depends on the car. There's so many varieties of things to do with the vehicles out there. We have a lot of students that come to the school that rent our uh, school cars, uh, the, the TD6, the little Toyota. Fantastic little car, a couple of horsepower, lightweight, uh, manual or automatic. Um, it doesn't really matter what the vehicle is, but car setup and nose is key. So a little bit better, a little bit better tire, um, better brake pads, uh, you know, brake lines, things like that. All of a sudden, that vehicle's dynamics change dramatically. Um, I've had plenty of people have come through and asked me that exact same question. I've told them, I said, do your research, look at these different companies, and find out what's the least expensive way to go. You don't need a big brake kit on a car. Um, a car's been engineered for a reason to have what it's got. So use that technology to the fullest. Like learn how to drive a 200 horsepower car to its absolute fullest. Most of the time I've seen people immediately jump to big brake kits. It's usually because they're not, it's, it's driver error. They're being way too aggressive. on. The, I mean, there's, there's stuff when you get into racing at upper levels, yeah. But I'm talking yeah. about like the street driving stuff. Most of the time the guys are on the brakes way too hard, way too long. And burning them up like they're boiling the fluid yeah, early I, in, the, in the drive. When I, you, a fluid change actually is usually more helpful than anything. If if somebody were to change the f just the fluid alone in their brake system on a track day car that they drive every now and not I shouldn't say track day car but a car they take to the track every now and then, uh, they'd have better brake feel. Yeah, you know, but you you spend a full day and you do it you know maybe eight to ten times a year, but you never do the brake fluid change. Uh, then you run into problems with the car not responding properly. Yeah, we we talked about that. Boil your brake fluid, get ready to replace it. If you're yeah. going to be a track guy, you're going to need to know how to <laughs> change and bleed your fluid. I did. I used to do 25 track days a year. I I, I did as many track days as I possibly could, no matter where I had to go. Um, and I was always changing my brake fluid, always because I knew in order to maximize that car's performance, um, why have burnt up old fluid, e even if it was a month. I would I would do I would do it after a month. But like you were time. saying with these cars, like if you have a 200 horsepower car, drive it to the to that limit. But a lot of these cars are set up to be driven on the street, and they're set up to be doing stop and go traffic and things like that. Right. But as far as taking a car like that and going to the track, like you're right, tires being the best thing, brake fluid being the best thing. 
Are there any safety precautions that you think people should do? I mean, obviously helmets are required, but I mean, yep. you see a lot of people that go out there and they go, I want to set up a race car and all of a sudden they're, they're ripping out the interior, they're building a cage and it's like, they've never done a track day and I need, you know, 57 point harness and I need a fuel cell <laughs> and I need, in, I mean, it happens. Yep. Yep. It it's more money than brains and things like hey, that. PBI so. is having a Black Friday sale, 10% okay. off cages. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not putting one in the Porsche. I have no reason to have one. <laughs> that's no, re- that's no reason to stop you. Um, <laughs> One of the like you know for in my experience in my little car one of the one of the best experiences I always refer to was it was during a Porsche Club day it was time for instructors to go out and I asked my client the, the, my student for the day if he wanted to come with me and we were in a really top end 911 and he's like oh yeah yeah great and we walk over to my car and he's like oh okay and I said come on oh your car my you car took, yeah, okay yeah, yeah so my car is now all set up for the track. Right, I've got DOT race tires on it. I've got Hawk pads. I've got steel braided lines. I've got Motul brake. Fl- I mean, it's set up for the track to be driven. Um, suspension's dialed in. And and you could tell that when we got to the car, it was a little like surprised that it wasn't a 911. And he, and I kind of got the sense that, uh, what am I going to learn from this? <laughs> 20 minutes later, he gets out of the car and he goes, I had no idea you could do that in a front wheel drive car. And all I said was at the end of our drive, I said, you're going to be able to do the same thing I'm doing right now. It's just that I have 140 horsepower and you have 350. So you've got to be a little gentle with the throttle, but going to the brakes, going to the throttle, the turn in, driving the car through a corner, you can do that in your car. Um, and so the fun thing about my car is, is I also took all the front end, uh, this understeer, the plow that goes into a front-wheel drive car out, put a big sway bar, tie bar on it, and uh, when you turn into a corner, the back end, <laughs> likes to come out a little bit. Not uncontrolled, right. but with a front-wheel drive car, you just go straight to the throttle and drive through the corner. Yeah, drive it out. Yeah, And you just drive it out. And that was the thing that that guy was so impressed by was that you could still control the car at 70 miles an hour through a corner and not lose control of the vehicle. I think a lot of people assume you have to have the GTRs, the GT3s, to be able to be successful at the track. You can't just... Yeah, and so, I mean, it, it literally, if I, if, if I wish it, that everybody would learn how to drive in a lower horsepower, slightly less performance vehicle to really gain that knowledge. Then when we put him in the GTR or the 911 or the whatever vehicle it is, the confidence going into that is just so much greater. The thing about new modern day cars is they make everybody look like a hero. <laughs> right. That's because they're smarter than most of the people that are driving. Yeah. These yeah. things are these things are looking at directional changes, G loads, uh, you know, roll and pitch and yaw and, and, and throttle input, what gear, direction of travel, GPS information. Closest Starbucks. Uh, uh, they're no. looking <laughs> at everything that's going on in the car, and it's predicting a situation based on suspension travel and, and the left front tire having more load than the right, you know, the right rear. Uh, as you turn into turn one, it's a, it's a tricky little corner. It's pretty mundane, but it, as you get through turn one at Pacific Raceways, there's a little transition past the wall at Apex. Well, you've got to keep the car on throttle. Yeah, it'll keep it'll up, upset your chassis really quick. It it instantaneously yeah. will upset things, and and the results may vary, right? I've, <laughs> we've seen a sad, I've seen some things that are pretty unfortunate, but we've also seen everybody come through there pretty successful. A lot of people come through very successfully with no issues. It's just that what happens is somebody gets a little in over their head, they make that little adjustment on the throttle, which now unbalances the car. That transition then exaggerates that, and that's when and that's when the results may vary. Hmm. Yeah. Now. Specifically in the in a GTR, that car is so heavy and so well planted to the to the ground, um, and I'm only saying this at, at at a relatively lower speed. Um, 
that thing is calculating and removing all the mistakes before the mistake shows up. And and it's a great car. Don't get me wrong. I mean, stock. I think they're six hundred and fifty horsepower or something like Prentismo, that. Prentismo, yeah, they're five fifty stock. There it is. Yeah. Okay, um, they're ungodly fast. They have grip for days getting around corners, and and they lay the power down better than other vehicles are out there. Now, granted, there's still a hundred and I think base price for a GTR is one hundred and ten grand, or it was at some yeah. point. It's super. It's a supercar. Um, you know, and of course, anything else that we see out here in a modern day car. They're just able to predict so much better than what a driver can react. You watch the hands of certain race car drivers in, in IMSA and in, in around the world. They're making corrections because they're feeling the car doing something. And they're the only driver aid typically in a lot of these cars. Either they're just going to be ABS or traction control so they can get out of a corner a little bit quicker. And those things have, I don't know, 15 different ways of adjustment. So they can change ABS. They can change traction control. They can change bias. Uh, they can change all these different aspects on a race car. But they're glued to that race car so they can feel what it's doing. We have to have all these driver aids because we're just sitting on a comfortable chair. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. right? If you look on a daily commute, I mean, it, you're just in a really beautiful driving home. <laughs> and comfortable, super comfortable. Mo mobile living room, yeah. They, I mean, we, ha we have HD this and HD that and all the high-tech stuff going on these cars. So all those predictive systems are in there to keep that person safe. Yeah. Right. You know, anti-braking systems. Now we have cameras and radar systems that are looking so far ahead. Most of us have cameras. Yeah. <laughs> Nick I mean, gives me I crap because my Turbo S doesn't have a backup camera. I don't have a backup <laughs> camera. I don't have a backup. Well, I, camera. Have, I have one in my Subaru. <laughs> and your mother. Uh. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I had a couple of those race cars down there have backup cameras. They probably do. They actually <laughs> probably do. Yeah. 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 So I, I had a GTR. Um, I had a 13 GTR, mm. and uh, exactly right. And I used to laugh because uh, that's when people say it drives itself although I've seen many of them crash. Um, but uh, it's one of those, like, once you get the nose pointed where you want to go, punch the gas and point, and it just sorts it out. The traction, everything. It's yeah. like it can be slick. It can be mixed yeah. terrain. It's just, it just sorts it out. The, the thing that I try to keep from happening, and in, in, in you do this in very su subtle ways, is somebody reaches for the race button, and we <laughs> just go, nope. we just go not, not right now. Yeah. But if the day builds and we're, we're having success, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, I never talk about it. it yeah. I, I've, I've never pushed the race button in a GTR for anybody. For you anybody. don't need to. You just don't need to. No, there's, there's absolutely no reason. Yeah, I would ferment my suspension a little bit. I'd put it on sport. That was about it. Yeah. I, you know, we get a lot of folks that have 911s or Porsches in general, and they want to put it in Sport Plus, or they want to put it in a different mode or whatever it is. And I'm like, that's okay, because all we're doing is changing throttle mapping and the uh, exhaust baffles open up a little right. bit more. Yeah. So it sounds a little bit more excited than, than, than what it is. <laughs> so those things don't change things too drastically. But once somebody realizes that they're not smooth with the throttle, we take it out of the Sport mode, we put them back in the normal, and then they use that to learn to be a little bit uh, softer and smoother on the throttle inputs. Yeah, my, uh, <laughs> we were driving up uh, this road out of Ashland, and I'll never forget. And so the best thing, I, my favorite roads are the ones where they have very, very low corner speeds but very high road speeds. So 15-mile-an-hour corners on a 50-mile-an-hour road. Mm -hmm. it, they're always suggested speeds, so you're never really speeding. You're just, you can be pretty spirited. And when we do our group drives, we have a couple of rules, but one of them is stay in your lane. No right. one's safe passing, especially when you can't see around the corners. Like, sure. if you're going that fast, go to the track. Like, right. you're going to endanger somebody else. There was one man, I came around a corner, and it was completely off camber and completely like Carl, I wish he was still here because he was behind me. It was pretty hilarious. I was leading. Our good friend Davis was behind me in his GT4, Carl and his 911, and I'm in my Turbo S. And we all came around that corner, 
not expecting it to be that tight and that off camber. So we're coming up, cresting a hill, and then immediate 15 Whoa. mile an hour right, immediate. And we're doing like 40 because this, this road's like that. So I'm like, I can't, if I'm braking, I'm going to have to keep it straight. So I just flicked it and let the car do what it needed to do. And you could feel the whole rear end just become completely unsettled as I came around that corner. <laughs> in the front, you could feel that, like, I've never felt a diff work in real life before. <laughs> and it was like the front of the car just immediately just grabs right and pulls me around the corner. I'm yep. like, you know what? That was all car. That was not me. That was not skill. That was 100% car yeah. saving my ass. Yeah. I was so thankful for all, amazing. all of that Porsche system in place there. If, if anybody's any dri- didn't has done any driving down in Bremerton, they'll know that down in Bremerton, that old airport turned drag strip turn, yeah. you know, skills event location for autocross many clubs, course, yeah. autocross course. The VHT, that's that's a, <laughs> literally like a quarter mile long in terms of how much has been laid down over the years. Uh, Porsche Club does plenty of uh, skills days down there. And uh, one of my, f- one of the memories I have from doing that was in uh, a 993 um, um, uh, turbo. Great drive. car, yeah. Great, great car. Um, the the shifters were a little uh, cumbersome on the steering wheel, but um, you know, Tiptronic uh, transmission at the time, I think it was. Back the, the old school. Old school. Tiptronic, yeah, yeah. Old school so. stuff. Uh, but what was so great was that VHT is so slick in the wet. Uh, this demonstration I was giving was how quickly the front of the car is actually going to correct the back end coming out uh-huh. and how it cuts power to the rear wheels <laughs> and moves torque to the front yep. and straightens everything <laughs> up, and then you take off like, you know, as, yeah. as, as fast as you could ever imagine. And so it was always fun kind of to show people how that system worked and, and, and how to use it for your benefit. Um, a Porsche still needs to be driven in a particular way. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. n- never that heavy off-throttle situation yeah. that so many people find themselves in. Uh, but these all-wheel drive systems nowadays, they're, they're uh, vectoring torque to the front or the rear or left or right or wherever it might be, uh, whether it's an NSX or some other super exotic fast car out there. I mean, it's, it's doing, they're doing things faster than most people could even calculate. Uh, that's a good. That's a good topic right there. So the NSX uh, is electric drive torque front wheels, right? Or is it split? Yeah, it has. Uh, it has two motors up front. It's got three electric motors, I right. believe, and um, those motors work in conjunction with what's happening with your right foot. Right. Whatever the X number is on the steering input, whatever X is of speed, and uh, it will vector. Which you know, is great because all that out of the corner torque on the front wheels is fantastic. It, it really pulls you pulls. Through, it pulls through the corners. Yeah, I've it's driven one before, and it was it's a car that gets a lot of hate, but man, that car is fast, especially fast. out of a corner. It's a crazy fast car to drive. A, a, a number of my friends do a, a number uh, quite a bit of driving programs for Acura and the NSX in particular, and, and get to do a lot of these events around the country. And um, they also do work for performance racing schools, so they're in lots of cars. We work for a variety of manufacturers doing different driving events around the country. But every time they come back from driving NSX, they're just blown away by it. Absolutely blown away by it. Yeah, it's an impressive car. Yeah. What do you think of it, Nick? I mean, yeah. I'm just <laughs> I, I totally get it. The car is just not for everybody. No. But it is a technologically an impressive Technolo- car. Technology, technology-wise, absolutely yeah. get it. I yeah. just there's I'm, uh, as a as someone who's not in the bracket of, of buying it and wouldn't buy it, I, it's it do- it doesn't appeal to me. I still wish they'd <laughs> made it rear wheel drive, mid engine, and as light as humanly possible. Yeah. I would have loved to see Acura come out with a three thousand pound NSX, not a thirty six hundred pound NSX like the GTR. The original NSX was a lot of fun to drive. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of fun to drive. It feels slow I, that now, being though. said, I have not driven the new one, but I've just and everybody speaks highly, but I just there's just something about it that just doesn't. Little you know. transformer-ish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I'd say, I would say it's not the most appealing car, but then Elon Musk prove, proved that he could win that one this week, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. man, what yeah. a week for him, mm-hmm. poor guy. Um, Let an eight-year-old draw your car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
He saved the drawing when he was a kid. I made it. No, it's ba- <laughs> we all know Baby Yoda drew that. So, yeah. <laughs> Let's take our second break, and we'll be right back. Grandpa, what do you call this thing again? It's a 66 Ford Bronco. I think you got ripped off. Why is that, honey? It's got no Wi-Fi, no USB port, no Bluetooth. Exactly. I guess we'll just have to talk. Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect. Is that the window button? It's called a window crank. Cool. The faster I move it, the faster it goes down. This moment of escape was created by Haggerty. Being old is kind of cool, Grandpa. Works for me. For people who love cars. And we're back. So, if you want to sign up for Proformance, oh. we know it's proformanceracingschool.com. Yes. But uh, how do we, what's, what's a typical day there? Typical day, um, you wake up in the morning. <laughs> right, there's a, whole, there's a whole song I yeah, think you were going down that path. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not going to sing it. Uh, so, when somebody registers through the website, uh, they'll get a hold of uh, uh, Donna is the boss of the school. I mean, Don runs the school, but Donna is the brains yeah. and, the, and the boss of the school. Um, <laughs> we all know how that goes. Good to know. She, yeah. uh, you know, she uh, what obviously sends back the information about what time they need to be there. We, you know, typically, most of our clients will show up right about on time. Um, some would deal with traffic coming from the north end of Seattle or coming yeah. all the way down from or coming up from as far away as Portland. Uh, so it depends on what their commute is. But if we get the, if we can get them there by 7.30, 7.45 in the morning, we get them all checked in. Uh, they go through and sign our waivers. And then we have uh, we stage the vehicles in two groups. Ultimately, they go in. They have a whole session with uh, Don in the morning about the day uh, and a lot of discussion about car control. Right? I'm being very generic about this right now. Uh, and then once that session ends, we take them out, and then we go do our two and twos, and uh, that takes about five or so minutes per, you know, so group one, it'll, we do those four laps, we come in, we come back at group two, each of those sessions takes about five to ten minutes to get completed. If, there's, if we're full and we have a whole group of cars out there and, and we're fully staffed, uh, it takes a little bit of time to chew through that, but it's pretty fun because uh, people are really excited about getting their cars on the racetrack. This is the first time they've been on a racetrack for a lot of them others have had other events at other you know tracks around the country or you know if they live in portland and they're interested in track driving they may have gone around on a parade lap at portland or something like that uh some are club members as well um as as part of this what what does someone have to do with their car before they show up for a track day with that like it's i mean as far as a, a, an inspection things it's a good question um they they should take their car to a shop uh, either an independent or back to you know the manufacturer's shop and get it looked at to make sure there's no issues with tires or brakes or any leaks happening because we don't want somebody traveling at a very high rate of speed to have an issue with a vehicle that you know loses oil or loses uh, coolant on the racetrack. Sure. So, okay. yeah, safety inspection is always advised, and um, you know any anybody who goes to a track and spends a little bit of time, even your first two or three times, you are going to do a bit of a nut and bolt to make sure things are, you know, attached to the vehicle appropriately. <laughs> yep, fair and enough. Yeah, yeah, if anybody in our audience wants a recommendation, we have plenty of them, or uh, our friends at Avance, you can post them there as well. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so... So once we do the two and twos, we break for a little bit of lunch, and then uh, we go right back on to driving on the track after after lunch. Um, and it, it, is, it, is, it is full track driving with... Group one first, group two, we go do a track observation. So they'll look at one particular turn or a set of turns with Dawn, and that takes about 20, 25 minutes. They come in, we start, ro- we rotate out to group two, group one goes back out, and then we just repeat that until the day ends. Uh, so it's a tremendous amount of driving on the track, and I think a lot of folks come out and they're not quite sure how tired they're going to be at the end of the day <laughs> or how, how intense it is to be in a car driving at the, on the track. Um, 
you know, some are better prepared than others. Um, some stay hydrated better than others. <laughs> and, and every time I get out of a car with somebody after 20 minutes, I tell them to get a bottle of water. I go drink a bottle of water. If you're not peeing at least three or four times today, you're not drinking enough. And yeah. at the end of the day, when you have to drive back to Portland or have to drive to the north side of, of, of Seattle, um, you're going to, you know, you'll be tired, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's an adrenaline rush. It's a huge adrenaline rush. The, the I, I don't know what the calorie burn is, but it's it's intense. Um, uh, some people get headache, uh, helmet helmet headache, uh, which just basically means you're dehydrated yeah. and your head's just throbbing inside the helmet when you take it off. And what gear do you need? Do you bring your own helmet? Um, what do you have? We have helmets for people to use, so we can put a communicator in, and so that way we can talk to each other um, huh. through a little boom mic and, and a one earpiece. So we don't have to yell because some cars are really loud. We do have race cars that come out, and so sometimes those guys already have communicator systems in the car, so we can use those. But we just have a simple little system that we slide into the helmet. Perfect. So that way we can keep our voices down and, and uh, you know, keep calm in the car. So if we're yelling, trying to go, oh, my God, no, what is right. wrong with you? <laughs> exactly. Why are you here? Exactly. <laughs> well, well, certain things like, go to the brakes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, don't have to, I don't have to yell uh, through, the, through the helmet because it is quite hard to hear through a helmet. Uh, yeah. Even an open face helmet is, is not easy to hear through all the time. Uh, but then uh, the day culminates with um, a, a bit of a take a deep breath and relax and look back on what your day was. And what I love the most is is regardless of the age of the person or whoever it is in the car, whether they have they drive a dump truck for work or they drive a taxi for work. We we've had every we've had everybody come out. The, the eye opening things are 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 really cool to see people that they 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 go. I never thought I would do this or. This is the most fun I've ever had in a car, and I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> um, and then, and then there's other other responses as well because m- most of the time, let's face it, most of the people are actually pretty beat. Yeah, they're pretty tired. Yeah, so <laughs> it's a ton of fun. So by the time it, by the time the day ends, we're also pretty tired because uh, we've been there from about six forty-five, seven o'clock in the morning, setting up the track, uh, getting things ready for the day, getting any uh, rented cars from our fleet uh, set up so we can get, uh, get our clients in the vehicles and ready to go. So that way we don't waste a whole lot of That's time. That's right. So you don't have to bring your own car on the track. You, you guys have cars. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can rent one of our cars, which is actually a nice way to go. Um, th- it's not, a, it's not an extremely high cost, but it's definitely less expensive than say bringing out something worth a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, your tires, your gas, your oil. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Those, those things can get expensive. Um, what what I failed to mention was after the two after uh, the first morning session is over, we actually have morning exercises that we put people through. So we put them through a braking exercise, a slalom exercise to teach them to keep their eyes up and looking way out ahead. And then we have a collision avoidance and a braking into a turn to induce understeer. So we walk them through these four different uh, morning exercises to kind of get awake a little bit, if you will. And it's really fun to see somebody go to the brakes for the first time, and we tell them you got to get on the brakes as hard as you can, get right up into ABS and get the car stopped. So the first run usually ends up where they've gotten to about 60% braking capability of the vehicle. And they're like, I was giving it everything I got. And I was like, well, we think we can give you a little bit more. We only have them going so fast, right? 50 miles an hour down into a braking zone. So we know where these cars should generally stop. And if you're going to extend that by half that distance beyond, we know that we haven't gotten to the brakes completely. But once we get somebody to get into ABS and get get the car stopping the way we need it to, these eyes open up, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I had no idea." <laughs> so again, it could be it could be a Honda Civic, it could be your most exotic sports car, and uh, when when you do have these cars out there that are top end performance vehicles, the the expression on people's faces when they get done stopping 
<laughs> is is the greatest thing and i wish we could have a camera in every car capturing these expressions because it's fun to see it's fun to see these smiles come on people's faces and go i had no idea i, I was never told that we could it could do this yeah and and you know um that right there makes kind of is the building of the day and then once they get done with all the exercises after lunch they're pretty they're pretty ready to go a good portion of them eh, if you were a little held back a little reserved you can't quite <laughs> read them the right way uh, but truly love when young people come out. So when, you know, parents bring their, you know, student or son or daughter that has a learner's permit and they go through our uh, teen driving program. And when you see the teenagers get done driving and you talk to the parents and the parents are more nervous than the kids <laughs> and they actually have so much fun and they learn so much more on how to control their parents, you know, SUV or whatever car that it is they're driving. And once you get people to understand that a 4,000-pound car takes some time to stop, then they have a greater appreciation for the safety technology. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys run year-round down there? We, we do run year-round. Uh, a big a big bulk of our work starts in the spring and leads right up until the fall. Um, but throughout the winter, if we get enough interest and we have people come out, we'll do um, we'll do a series of days uh, throughout the wintertime as well. And quite honestly, if you're going to live in Washington yeah, I, State. I'm with you, yes. I'm like, I, I just got snow tires on the porch. Yep. So let's do this. <laughs> Good way to burn snow tires. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do it on a really cold day. They'll appreciate it. But no, I mean, if, if, if we could have, I mean, honestly, I wish we could cycle every new car buyer, uh, whether it's a pre-owned car or a new car, to come to the school to learn how to drive their vehicle and understand the controls and the technology in their vehicles. It would be such an amazing I wish that too. I feel like that should be a worthwhile requirement. Speaking of regulating everything, let's make people go to, to <laughs> racing schools and be like, "Here's how you drive." Well, and if you, you know, not to go down this big Add rabbit it to hole, ed. this yeah. rabbit hole conversation, but you know, other countries around the world require a heck of a lot more time behind the wheel and knowledge about how cars work. Yeah. Than, Is it Sweden what? or whatever? The, the young, I mean, they, they're some of the kids are practically rally car drivers by the time they get their license. Yeah, they learn how to drive on ice. They yeah. learn how to drive in rain and snow and all the inclement conditions that you could ever ever find yourself in. And we have all those here. Yeah. Everywhere across the United States. And obviously in the desert southwest, not so much. But, you know, even then when there's sand across the road, yeah, you've got to sure. learn how to deal with those situations well, when they it come up. Well, it gets bad here because our snow turns to thick slush. That's like driving through thick mud. It's, right. It's not like it was like, oh, I dro grew up in, you know, Colorado, Montana. I'm like, dude, you, your snow like just blows off the road with a strong right. breeze. <laughs> Ours just sticks there and doesn't move until, More power. until it gets washed away by the inevitable rain. But until then, it's yeah. a totally different driving environment. Yeah. And like, I mean, my family's from Minnesota and they're like, snow is nothing. I'm like, yeah, when you just blow on it and it moves, it's not when you're it's just yeah, never it's ending. Piling up and not sticking. Yeah. You know, and, and I think this is true for everywhere. It's, you know, we go through these long stretches of, of really great weather and all of a sudden we get hit with the rain and the, and yeah. the inconsistencies of stuff. And so, you know, I just, I just, I really just wish there was some way to like make that available to people or somehow offer some sort of, you know, program with a little bit of a discount. You buy a car, you do this, you get to learn something about your vehicle. So I work in, in the mm -hmm. auto industry, working in the industry I do, I get to, I get to educate sales consultants and dealership people on new products. So when a manufacturer comes out with a new vehicle, myself and many, many other people who are in this business, our job is to go into or we have a location where manufacturer sends their dealer group and we educate them on new cars yeah. and new product and the new safety technology and the camera systems and all these emergency technologies that are on vehicles. Well, I know, I mean, Porsche has their driver's experience as McLaren. I yep. mean, all the other, all the performance brands really offer that, yep. but they're often a big, big travel experience. Like, yep. like if you do, um, like, the Corvette driving school, you go down to... Perump. Yeah. It's a, it's, 
Well, I mean, and, and a lot of them have winter driving schools, too. Lamborghini has a huge winter driving school. Oh, yeah. Most school. of them. Most of them do. Uh, a, a, fair amount, a fair amount of manufacturers are trying to offer those programs because they want people to be able to enjoy those vehicles, right? So whether it's Ferrari or Maserati, whether it's Corvette or, you know, Jaguar had a performance academy for years and years and years. It was hugely successful. Uh, you know, drivers like Davy Jones and Roberto Guerrero, um, uh, just to name a couple of guys who were there teaching people how to drive these 510 horsepower plus horsepower vehicles on racetracks. Yeah. Uh, those experiences are well worth the investment. Well worth the investment. Yeah. You're right over there? Yeah, I, have, I do not know why, but I have the. It's not you, good sir. It's, I don't know why I've got the yawns today. So I apologize. That's it's right. your diet. Probably is. <laughs> <laughs> Just eggs and beef. <laughs> good cholesterol and. Yep. <laughs> Keto. Raise your cholesterol. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of Pacific Raceways, yeah. Uh, so there's a cool event coming up uh, December 1st, the Northwest Toy Run, which takes place down there. Super good cause. Um, if you're an Avance partner, or Avance member, you can get a discount uh, by signing. I think it's five bucks off the normal VIP ticket price. Uh, but obviously, that's not the point of the event. Go to the event, give something back. Yeah. Bring some toys. It's a really great cause, and everybody should be there. Yeah, and then I think the the weekend after December seventh, they have their Avance Tech session with Dundon Motorsports, which is if you have never been there, incredible. Um, and then I think I think that same weekend, and I'm not sure they're doing they're doing their Avance Portland launch, so they're going they're they're moving they're moving south. So yeah, that's they've, right. They've, they've 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 taken over this area, and it's time to go south. Yeah, Mule just opened up a shop there too. That's right. I'm, it's nice to see the car shops growing. Like well, there's a ton of off road stuff down in. In the Portland area, I mean, lo- actually it's as funny as there's a lot of the shops like from my stuff with like the Subaru, the, the guys are down there. So, yep. yeah, I was going to say, I will get the one thing I'll give Oregon some credit for. The one thing <laughs> is that uh <laughs> got to be one <laughs> is that they have some great driving roads around there. Off road and street. East, Eastern Oregon is a driver's heaven when it comes to street driving. Oh, yeah. It's oh, yeah. amazing over there. Yeah. Some of our favorite roads over there, of course. Um, one thing to add about the Northwest Toy Run is we actually have hot laps or lead follow laps around the racetrack during that during that day. So we we can only take so many people out, but there's a small donation to be able to do those lead follow laps. And myself and Manfred Dusky, uh, one of the uh, the lead instructors for the school, will be there giving those hot laps. Excellent. Yeah. It's a lot of fun to go out there. I've done that a couple of years, and it's it's always fun because it, it's a very eclectic group. It's everybody. It's, it's everything <laughs> from minivans to... It's the greatest gathering yeah. of car people in the state. Yes. Uh, all at once, yeah. It's if you're gonna if if you're in if you want everything, it's the yeah. greatest gathering of car people because oh, you, yeah. you will find everything, love and hate. Yep. <laughs> but hey, it's all going to a good cause. It is. So I don't care yeah. what you drive. Suck it go. up and go. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for coming in and spending time with us. Oh, thank um, you. I know you're a busy man um, and, and sharing these these tech tips uh, with the world. Um, you know, and and we hope to Dan and I hope to get out there sometime soon and you know. Yeah, you guys should. Take some laps. Oh, I will be. I'll yeah. be out there soon. I've got, uh, I already got the gear ready to go. I see. Yes. Uh, my second set of tires. <laughs> All that. <laughs> Not the snow tires. Didn't you just get the snow tires on? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So those will go. Th- I won't bring those to the track. <laughs> right, 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 right. I'll go back those to the great track tires. Forest. Well, it's snowing up the pass right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it snowed in, on Mercer Island today in, uh, in Newcastle. In Renton, wow. yeah. yeah had my old place. I saw yeah. photos. No, it snowed. Oh, it snowed. It snowed, snowed. snowed, snowed. Oh, it snowed, it snowed. started with hail, then it went to snow. Mm-hmm. And, yes, Adam from Avance actually posted some photos. There was snow, there was hail, then a lot of snow. And huh. it, it melted away already, but it's coming. Yep. We're, pr- we're ready to go. It's like we live in the Northwest or something. I know, right? Right? <laughs> Weird. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, we'll wrap up this episode. Uh, for Rain City Supercars, I'm Nick. I'm Dan. Don't just get there. Enjoy the drive. <laughs>